big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. You can be emotionally invested in disgusting things and people. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a heterosexual female. I know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Molly. I'm Becca. This is Pod and Prejudice. A podcast where we discuss Jane Austen and, well, more than discuss Jane Austen, we read Jane Austen. We read Jane Austen and then recap it to you. Yep. I, Molly, have never read a Jane Austen in my life. I, Becca, have read all the Jane Austens in my life. We thought it would be fun to dive in with the perspective of one Stan and one future Stan. Noob. A noob. One noob. One Stan, one noob. That describes us. In this podcast. Yeah. So if you're joining us now, uh, congratulations, you're probably our eighth listener. This episode, we're talking about chapters 13 through 15 of Mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice. I want to preface them by saying that I think that this is going to be an episode of me being more confused than I have been in the past, because I genuinely thought that we were done meeting people. Oh, you thought we were done meeting people. Yeah, I'd only ever heard of the Bennett sisters and Mr. Darcy, so I didn't really realize that there were more characters in this book. Oh no, bitch, you thought. I did, I really did think. That is part of the reason I was excited for these chapters, very specifically because uh, I like want a perfume of the disdain that everyone has for Mr. Collins, but also because this is the part of the book where I feel like you might get the sense you don't actually know the plot of this book. Yeah, I really, I really, again, bitch, I thought, (laughs) I thought that we were done. I think last episode I said, how is this going to go on for 300 more pages? And I kept a very stoic face. She did. I was honestly shook. Um, Chapter 13 begins with someone is coming to dinner. I believe that's the title of a play, too. Well, I believe the play is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Ah, And Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's a gentleman and a stranger. I like to note that Jane Austen, every time we meet a new character, says it's someone that they had never seen before, just so that it's clear for the audience. Yeah, well, I mean, when she introduced, for example, Charlotte Lucas, she was like, this is one of their best friends. Now we're like, this is someone none of them have met. Mm -hmm. So this is where I wrote in my notes, there are no more characters in this book. So who is it? And (laughs) and actually, Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, it's gotta be Bingley. You're just fooling with us, Mr. Bennett. But he's like, no, it's really really someone none of you have met. very someone new. Yeah. He reveals, Mr. Bennett, that he received a letter from a certain Mr. Collins to whom Longbourn had been left. So we've talked about the fact that these girls are not inheriting this estate and a couple times. Yeah, and I realized actually going back that they talked about how it's being left to a distant relative whom none of them had ever met. And this is that distant relative. And the way that Mr. Bennett says it 
he describes Mr. Collins as the man who, when I am dead, may turn you all out of this house as soon as he pleases, <laughs> which I thought was a funny way to say that. Well, Mr. Bennett is making a pretty dark joke here. Yeah. He's saying something very true, which is that when he dies, Mr. Collins has absolute control all over all of their economics, except it is said that Mrs. Bennett comes to the marriage with like a tiny parcel of money, but I believe it was not much, so mm-hmm. it's really just... Like, they're fucked when he dies. Yeah. This is getting interesting because we did a lot of financial talk in one of these chapters, and I was like, this is boring, and I don't <laughs> care, and now I'm like, I need to actually pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to an extent, it's it's sort of like, I don't want to give away anything for the other books, but this is a pretty strong current through Jane Austen's mm-hmm. entire work, as I kind of said in our first episode, because... Women were so financially dependent on men for money at this time. Financially dependent on men for money is redundant, but I'm really (laughs) emphasizing how much women needed men for money. It's why ladies like Lizzie Bennet have to, like, force themselves to deal with fuckboys, despite the fact that they're better than them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Bennet is immediately like, I don't want to hear about that. And she talks about how terrible it is that this estate should be entailed away from his own children. Then, and, and I have things to say about the word entail, because then Jane and Lizzie try to explain to her what an entail means, but she is just, she won't hear about it. They've apparently tried to explain a lot of times, and then I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Because I, I every time I looked it up, it didn't, really tell me so then I looked up what does it mean in Jane Austen and I'll just tell you for for any common folk like me who don't know what that means in English common law fee-tail or entail is a form of trust established by deed or settlement which restricts the sale or inheritance of an estate in real property and prevents the property from being sold devised by will or otherwise alienated by the tenant in possession and instead causes it to pass automatically by operation of law to an heir determined by the settlement deed basically meaning that none of the girls can have any part of it even if someone was like i actually want to give it to them it's too late so, for those of you who don't know this, my little day job I have outside this podcast <laughs> is that I'm a law student on my way to become a lawyer, and so I actually uh, I had a decent idea from my property law class what a fee tail was, and the short story answer to this is that it's basically how the British hierarchy and nobility kept the property from being sold outside the bloodline. So this is like a longer economic rant, but basically a lot of wealth is tangled up in property, in real property, in land. This is especially true in England, and I don't know what the state of it is in England nowadays, but back then, fee tails meant that you could only give the property for generations to people of the bloodline. So do women not count as of the bloodline? No, not in this case. They do not. Fucking damn it. But if you're interested, this is the last foray into law, I will say. This is impossible to create under American law. You cannot create a fee tale in American common law because it is part of sort of cycling the wealth in the country. You cannot tie a piece of property to any one bloodline in America. So yeah, that's a fun fact. Nice. Lawyered. So I I think that Mrs. Bennett's rightfully angry because they have five children and none of them are allowed to inherit this land. Mr. Bennett agrees, but says maybe if she hears the letter, it will soften her feelings towards him, towards Mr. Collins. And she's like, it definitely won't. She thinks he's being fake. 
She thinks he's a fake friend. Why couldn't he just keep the family feud going? Because apparently his father had a feud going with Mr. Bennett. So I'm not totally clear on this, but what I'm deducing is, you know how Darcy and Bingley and the Bingley sisters were talking about um, some unsavory relatives of the Bennetts? Yeah. I think that Mr. Collins is technically connected to the shitty Bennetts. Okay. And he is now a learned man. And one of the ways you can sort of fix your birth status in England in this time period is to become a priest. Or Which a he does. Uh, yes, he does. Yeah. So now he kind of is respectably middle class. Cool. Ish. It's All right. Specifically, he is a priest to someone very fancy. And so that's like a good, solid life. I have so many questions about yeah, we'll get there. We'll get priesthood, there. But yeah, Mr. Bennett is like, uh, you know, he does have some filial scruples on that head, meaning... Uh, I have no idea what that means, actually, but I just really liked the term filial scruples, so I wrote it down. We could probably deduce what filial scruples means. Brotherly or, yes. like, familial? Scruples. I've heard that word before. I mean, filial scruples, I think filial usually means, like, son, right? Yeah. So he kind of he doesn't oh, like his dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't like his he dad. He doesn't like his dad. Oh, uh, he got it. <laughs> he doesn't like his dad, but he also okay. Well, actually, no. It's explained. It's yeah. explained in the letter. We can use context clues. Let's get to the letter. Oh, okay. So I have a very specific way that I think Mr. Collins probably speaks. <laughs> I want to hear you do that. So just so you know, I have an amazing British accent. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if you're being serious or not. Let's let's go. Dear sir. The disagreement subsisting between yourself and my late honored father always gave me such uneasiness, and since I have had the misfortune to lose him, I have frequently wished to heal the breach, but for some time I was kept back by my own doubts, fearing lest it might seem disrespectful to his memory for me to be on good terms with anyone with whom it had always pleased him to be at variance. There... Mrs. Bennet. Well, actually, no, that's, that's what Mr. That's Bennett's Mr. <laughs> There, Mrs. Bennet. That's sort of how I picture him talking, except that you, like, your daddy. I'm your still picturing daddy. him as Zachary Quinto, so it's more like a <laughs> kind of tilt the glasses down saying, there, Mrs. Bennet, and then winking. Just like a substitute teacher who's opening the book to, like, the weird poem and being like, no, poetry school kids. Yeah. There, Mrs. Bennet. Exactly like that. Do you understand how my perception of Mr. Collins as a character? Yes, so is Mr. Collins, like, rotund? I think so. Cool, cool, cool. I, I mean, he's just like, you tell so much from the letter itself. From this first section that you just read, they love to hate in Jane Austen. He is like, I should be hating anyone that my father hates, but it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, and so which I think is kind of sweet. Right now, I kind of have a sweet spot for this man. I know that he's, like, supposedly an oddball, but... Oh, so you're into Mr. Collins. Well, I don't have any reason not to be... A, like, well, I take that back. Anyway, yeah, that's what we learned from that, that part. Do you want to read the rest, or should we just summarize? I mean, I think we can say that the rest says he's very sorry to be inheriting the property... 
And he'll be uh, around for dinner on Monday sometime. At four. At four o'clock, which is very early for dinner. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe well, it's like happy dinner hour. Is d- yeah, they're yeah. doing happy hour and tea and things. Yep. He also explains that he's become a priest under Lady Catherine de Bourg. Yes, actually, that's Lady Catherine de Bourg. De Bourg. <laughs> I don't understand what any of this means. Uh, I wrote, he's been distinguished by the patronage of Lady Catherine de Bourg. Borg, 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 who has awarded him the valuable rectory of the parish. I am not religious. Is this where priests hang out? So I used to work in a church. What? Yeah, we've been through this. We have? So when I worked as an actor in Philadelphia, my day job was giving tours at a church. I knew that you gave tours, but I didn't realize it was at a church. I worked for a secular nonprofit that was part of the church. I thought you were giving historical Philadelphia tours wearing a giant poofy skirt. No, I only wore the poofy skirt once. Usually I just talked about the architecture of this church and its history and everything. It was cool, but it's an active Episcopal church. And the Episcopal church is an offshoot of the Anglican church. Now, I want to be clear to all of our 16.35 listeners, both Molly and I are Jewish. So when I say I know anything about Christianity, I come at it from an academic historical perspective. So if I get something wrong here, please correct me. But here's what I perceive to be the case. Mr. Collins is ordained in the Anglican Church, which Mm -hmm. is the Church of England, which is that piece of the church that broke off from the Catholic Church under Henry VIII, famously. Because he wanted to divorce his wife and marry Anne Boleyn. Yes, the other Boleyn girl with Jim Sturgis. Yes, very historically (laughs) accurate movie. (laughs) And that's really all I can say about that that's relevant here is that when you hear people talking about church in Jane Austen novels, they're usually talking about the Church of England. And to preempt a question of yours, yes, Anglican priests can marry. Ah, thank you for noticing that question. It's only Catholic priests, as far as I know, that can't marry. And also, Lady Catherine de Berg, uh, sorry, <clears throat> Lady Catherine de Berg is a very, very wealthy woman, and you could be wealthy and noble enough in this time period to get like your own personal priest. So he's her own personal priest. Yeah, he basically I is understand. under her patronage because she's got her chapel and like a home for the priest next to the chapel. Mm -hmm. And I think people in the community can go to the church, but it is primarily uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh's priest. Cool. That all makes this make a lot more sense because I was like, what is going on here? So he says that now being a priest, he feels that he should be kind to all people and promote peace in all families, including his own. Therefore, he hopes that they will overlook the fact that he's inheriting the estate, which, of course, they probably will not. He says he especially feels bad that he's hurting the lovely daughters and wants to make every possible amends. We'll get to that. And then he says that he's coming to stay with them. Is he staying one week or two weeks? Because he says he's going to be there until from Monday to the next Saturday, and he can do this because it's fine if he's not there on some Sundays as long as someone else is available to do the service on Sunday. Is he staying two weeks? I believe he's staying two weeks. Okay, that's a long time to just barge in on the family that you're taking their estate when they die. Yeah, yeah. It's a while, but, like, I guess... In this time period, traveling takes a lot longer. So if you're going to go somewhere, it's kind of like going to Australia. You're not going to go to Australia for a weekend. Uh, I mean, this is a huge exaggeration, obviously. Right. But, like, it's it's not so easy to just take a day trip. Yeah. Mr. Bennett ends the letter and is like, yep, so he'll be here at 4 o'clock today. <laughs> okay. Mrs. Bennett says... 
Well, if he wants to make amends, I won't stand in the way. Jane wonders how he will make amends. Lizzie thinks he's a little weird for apologizing for inheriting the state since, like, would he actually change anything if he was given the chance? Probably not. Says to Mr. Bennett, Dad, he can't possibly be sensible, right? Mr. Bennett's like, no, and I have great hopes of finding him quite the reverse, meaning he's hoping that he's a little bit crazy. I, I think he's also hoping that he's a bit of a dimwit. Mm, mm-hmm. Like like a dummy. Ah, sensible meaning smart, the reverse meaning like dumb. Like practical, down-to-earth, smart dude. Mr. Collins is not these things. Well, then Mary comments and says the composition of the letter was very nice. Uh, the, the idea of the olive branch isn't new, but he expressed it very well. I hashtagged very Mary. Yeah. And in fact, all three of those sisters' responses were very on-brand for them. I would say all five sisters had pretty on-brand Oh, responses. yeah, because following up, Kitia does not care at all. If he's not in a scarlet coat, then... They're not going to look his way. I just really want to quickly say that I think Mary is the kind of girl who thinks that simple plan is pure poetry, if that makes sense. <laughs> Molly just looks like she's about to cry for Mary. I, I am. I want her to figure herself out. I feel like she's got some growing up to do, and I hope that she gets to in this book. Oh, Mary. She's just a little goth. So Mrs. Bennett doesn't hate him anymore. Then he arrives. He is very talkative. He's tall. Heavy looking? So is he like chiseled heavy looking, like heavy lidded eyes? Or is he like heavy looking? I I get the sense he's on the pudgier side. But like in a cute way. Maybe. So we'll talk about this later, but I think you can really uh, compare the way he is described as opposed to other men in this book to take something from his general presence mm-hmm. well hmm. so he's 25 years old yes he is he is basically my age yeah he's between our ages he's between our ages i kind of picture him well maybe a little bit baby faced yeah that's like, a good picture he's just kind of like a pudgy baby faced dude but <laughs> but tall i'm not gonna comment and like um, yo oh, oh, he's cute but but he's grody but he's grody we'll get into it in a few <laughs> bullet points But I don't really like his um, motivations for coming here. Oh, yeah. We do not get a big mystery as to why Mr. Collins is coming to this home. Yeah, so he (laughs) he arrives, and the first thing that he says is that he compliments how beautiful the girls are, and he doesn't doubt that they'll all soon be married. Um, And all the girls are kind of like, um, what? And Mrs. Bennett says, oh, well, I hope so. Otherwise, they'll be destitute enough since things are settled so oddly. And I was like, zing. Yep. <laughs> she's like so backhanded right now and he's like oh you mean the entail of this estate and she's all yeah it's not your fault it's okay and he says he realizes it's a hardship but he comes prepared to admire the young ladies and i just wrote in my margins oh no oh yes no i immediately know why he is here he is here because he wants to marry one of these girls as a way of making amends because then one of them can inherit the estate yes which has in some ways a little bit of nobility to it well we'll get into what he thinks about it yes (laughs) before he can say more on the subject however it is time for dinner He admires everything in the house, and Mrs. Bennet would be touched by how kind he's being if she didn't think he were just viewing it all as his own future property, which I agree with. Then he compliments the food, and he asks which of his lovely cousins, note cousins, made it, but 
Mrs. Bennett immediately is like, oh no, I have cooks for that. There's nothing for the girls to do in the kitchen. And I noticed that we bring this up a lot. Mrs. Bennett is constantly talking about how her daughters are never in the kitchen. Yeah, it's a sign of good breeding that you don't have to do your housework. Interesting how the trope has shifted from that being a sign of good breeding to women should all be in the kitchen. It's also a difference of culture between the upstairs and the downstairs and Mm -hmm. sort of, Mm -hmm. this is a culture shift thing possibly, but I don't know how much of American history it was ever the case that you didn't want women to cook, but I do know that there came a time in American history where the middle class really swelled and people wanted wives that could do all the servant role stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about like high society Britain in this time period, you want a wife who's really good at piano and talking to people and cross-stitching and making sure her house looks nice, but you don't want her to be doing the sort of the menial work of the lower class. So again, we, we have these themes of not only what makes the perfect woman, but what makes the perfect high society woman. I am bad at all of these things, except I, I can kind of like sing and play piano. So. I don't, you, you made me really good pasta with tomatoes the other I day. I did. Well, then he just apologizes for 15 minutes for uh, having offended <laughs> Mrs. Bennett. And she's like, please don't, it's okay. Well, he, Mrs. Bennett is like so amenable to compliments. <laughs> she does. Oh, she, she means please don't as in please keep going. It's like I was Top. So that's where we kind of end for chapter 13. I'm just upset that he's trying to marry one of his cousins. If marrying of cousins is something that minorly upsets you... Maybe this isn't the book for me. No, no, this one... I mean, well, I don't want to give anything away. Just generally in Austin's work, there's a little bit of a suspension of disbelief there with certain other books. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose he's a distant cousin. Yeah... Austin goes more full hard incest in different books. Oh no. Yeah, you'll see. Uh, There's one in particular, and I will not say which. Huh. Well, chapter 14. Mr. Bennett doesn't really say anything at dinner, but once it's over, he brings up how fortunate Collins is to have found himself under the patronage of Lady Catherine de Bourg. <laughs> Lady Catherine de Bourg. And Mr. Collins immediately just goes off. He just talks about her forever with much importance and more than usual solemnity of manner, which I'm just confused. How can he be excited to talk and also be solemn? Like, I'm trying to picture him getting excited to talk in my brain. Have you ever had a friend who is friends with a celebrity? No, but I'm picturing Tahani. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Oh my god. So imagine if Tahani Aljamil had one famous friend, yeah. and every single anecdote she said in the entire show was about one person. Yes. Oh. Oh, this morning they tweeted about the most memorable interview of the afterlife, and they're like, who's the most famous celebrity you have on your phone? And she's like, oh, fame comes from within, or something, entertainment, blah, blah, blah. The Dalai Lama texted me that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so thank you. That's a very good, uh, yeah, I'm going to picture yeah. that. He talks about her affability and, quote, condescension and how some people think she's proud, but he's never experienced that. And she even, quote, condescended to advise him to marry as soon as he could. There are several questions. Condescension. I looked at that footnote, which I was, I was really nervous because it said condescension. There's a footnote. And I was like, I'm not looking at any footnotes because I don't want to accidentally see a spoiler. But I did look at that one because it was, came up so many times. And what it says is that his use of the word condescension so much and condescend is supposed to show that he's kind of dumb 
and it's supposed to reveal flaws in both characters. Don't know what that means. Don't know if we're going to meet Lady Catherine de Bourgh. I am not going to tell you what that means, and it's at Catherine de Bourgh. De Bourgh. De Bourgh. Uh, <laughs> but I will ask you to speculate about what that means. I speculate that he thinks that she is stooping to be nice to him, like condescending, like lowering herself. Cool. And then I asked about clergymen marrying. And uh, I gave that beautiful, I'm sure, completely a thousand percent accurate uh, evaluation (laughs) of Christianity in general from this nice Jewish girl from New York. (laughs) And also she told him that he liked his decorating, which was cute. We learned that she lives across the street from him at Rosings Park. And she has one daughter, the heiress of Rosings, and that she's she has extensive property. I was like, dude, why don't you just marry her? But anyway, Mrs. Bennett is jealous, and she says that she's better off than many girls, meaning her girls. And then she asks him if the heiress of Rosings is hot. And he says that she is! <laughs> she's the handsomest of her sex because she is of distinguished birth, meaning... Her mom is hot, question mark, or she's rich, question she mark? She's rich, but more than that, she's of noble blood. So, like, the Bennets... So that makes her hotter? The Bennets are not of noble blood. The Bennets are wealthy for this time period, not the wealthiest. Darcy's clearly wealthier. Mm-hmm. Darcy is not of the high noble blood. But, like, basically, Lady Catherine de Bourgh has a vein of royal blood in her. Okay. So maybe other people can talk about this as well, because I know there is, like, a certain level of wealth in Jane Austen's England that means that the lady is all good to go, even mm-hmm. if she... Because the Bennet sisters are not inheriting their estate, but baby de Bourgh is inheriting her estate, I believe. I want to look up how to pronounce de Bourgh. Oh, no, don't do that. You'll get spoilers. Oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. Ah! Ooh. It's, it's, it's Lady We're Catherine just gonna de Bourgh. We're just going to say de Bourgh. De Bourgh. Personally, I just like... I'm starting to sound a little like Borat as I do it, but... <laughs> Uh, I just like how much Mr. Collins brings up Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Can we call her Katie? Katie de Bourgh. Just Katie. Katie. Sure. Great. So, <laughs> so young de Bourgh. Baby de Bourgh. <laughs> Baby de Bourgh. <laughs> is hot, but she is also of sickly constitution. Mm-hmm. Now, I've recently started playing Dungeons and Dragons, so my brain immediately, for all of my fellow D&D nerds, maybe I am one of you, I can't tell yet, I was just like, wow, her constitution score is low, and therefore she's unaccomplished in all of the ways of the ladies. She doesn't really get to do all of the the practicing, the piano or the, you know, ladylike things Mm -hmm. because she is of sickly constitution. But she often condescends to drive by his house in her carriage. And again, I thought he should just marry her. I'm not sure he's of high enough blood status to marry her. Well, it sounds like he's got a big old crush on her. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. 
The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Mrs. Bennett asks if she's been presented because she doesn't remember seeing her. And I thought, is that like a cotillion? Well, remember how uh, earlier in the book it said Lydia got presented kind of early? Yeah. It's basically, you're, it is kind of a cotillion. It's like you get presented to high society. You get to go to all the parties. You're not kept at home as a child. Got it. You're like a young lady on the town to be presented to all the men. Uh, so she's not been presented on the town. She doesn't go to parties. I see. So he says that since she's sick, she can't really do all that. But he talks about now how he loves to give little compliments to ladies, often telling Lady Catherine, Katie, how lovely her daughter is. How often do we trust a dude who says, I love giving little compliments to ladies? I don't trust him. I don't trust this. I think it's hilarious. Mr. Bennett says, oh, you're very talented and, and flattering with delicacy. But he asks if these little pleasing attentions are spontaneous or if he plans them out in advance and then just says them. <laughs> and fucking Mr. Collins honestly answers him saying that you know generally they're spontaneous, but sometimes I make up little compliments that I can then adapt to use in different situations. Uh, but I make sure to give them as unstudied an air as possible. God damn it. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Mr. Bennett sees that Mr. Collins is just as absurd as he had hoped. And he and Lizzie kind of share a glance over the table. They're just like, mm-hmm. The two of them are the salt bays. They'd like just like sit at the table together and they just exchange glances of how stupid yep. people. Yep. Then by tea time. Mr. Bennett is ready to get rid of Collins. So he asks them to read aloud to the ladies. And he's like, sure, but I won't read a novel. And Kitia are both like, no, we must have fiction. <laughs> well, look at what the alternative is. The alternative is what he does read. Um, how do you pronounce this? Fordice or Fordice? Fordice, I Fordy? think. I, I don't know. It's spelled F. O-R-D-Y-C-E. I'm going to say... Four Dice Sermons. Four Dice... Yeah, Four Dice Sermons, which is a book of conservative advice on female conduct and education. 
And Lydia just straight up interrupts him and starts talking about the officers in town. She mentions that Colonel Forrester is going to hire someone named Richard. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, she's planning to go to Maryton tomorrow to ask when Mr. Denny is coming back. And Lizzie and Jane are like, Lydia, what are you doing? And <laughs> Mr. Collins is super offended that she interrupted him. And What exactly does he say in that moment? It's so good. I have often observed... How little young ladies are interested by books of a serious stamp. They're written solely for the bare benefit. It amazes me, I confess, for certainly there can be nothing so advantageous to them as instruction. But I will no longer importune my young cousin. You should do audiobooks. <laughs> No, I just want to narrate everything as how I picture Mr. Collins speaking. Yeah, but that's how some audiobook narrators speak. I feel like you could be good. Yes, yes, yes. I've been listening to um, Lord of the Rings audiobook. For the first time, I've never read Lord of the Rings. Oh my god, me neither. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my god, do you want to listen to that next? Yes. <laughs> I keep getting distracted and when they're like talking about something important and I'm like, oh man, I don't know how we got here. Yeah. But he does that sort of voice for like yes. Gandalf. Gandalf is like this. <laughs> we do that again? Gandalf is like this. Gandalf is Gandalf. like this. <laughs> so then he turns to Mr. Bennett and is like, you want to play backgammon? And the girls and Mrs. Bennett are like, no, please keep reading. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. And then that's the end of the chapter. Yes, it is. Chapter 15 starts with a little bit of a third-person description of Mr. Collins. Yes, the basic summary is he's socially awkward. Yes, extremely. His father was illiterate and miserly, meaning stingy. I had to ask my brother. He went to college, but he didn't really make any friends. It, it says that he didn't make any contacts that would help his career, but in my mind, he didn't really make any friends. Yeah. He used to be a very humble man, but now that he's become a priest and... Kind and it works for a wealthy woman and all of this. He's become a little conceited. And he is overall a mix of pride and obsequiousness, self-importance, and humility. God, he's like the ultimate mansplainer a little. Like, have you ever met a guy who's like kind of failed in the world and then he sort of finds his place and you're like, oh, this is good. I've always been rooting for you. And then he... Becomes a dick? Becomes a huge dick. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> I don't um, talk about anyone in particular. <laughs> Quote, having now a good house and very sufficient income, he intended to marry. Or in other words, being in possession of a good fortune, he is now in want of a wife. Uh, and he means to choose one of the daughters. I knew it. To be clear, Molly just wrote in big letters, parentheses, I knew it. Yep. Uh, and this is his way of amends and atonement. And he's very impressed with himself for being so generous and, and so disinterested in his own needs and what wants. What a fucking sacrifice to have yeah. to marry one of the fucking Bennett sisters. Yeah. So Jane is his first choice. Obviously, I guess. And in the morning, he starts chatting with Mrs. Bennett. I imagine that she's like making coffee. I'm sorry, she doesn't cook. <laughs> you imagine she's just like sitting there drinking her coffee. Drinking her coffee. And he is leaning on the kitchen island. And he's like, so I mean to marry one of your daughters. And she says that she doesn't know of any prepossession of her younger daughters, but her eldest is probably getting married soon. So he shouldn't even try with her. I don't really love the word prepossession. It's like 
to know if her daughters are seeing anyone, like, that she's pre-possessed. It, by... it does imply that some guy has plucked them off a shelf and yeah. intends to take them to the checkout. Yeah. Which is gross. Pretty gross. But let's remember... This is, what, like, Mrs. Eight, Benny. 19, 1850, or what, when did this come out? Uh, oh, shit. It's one of her earlier novels, the very early 19th century. Copyright 2000... <laughs> what year was that, Molly Burdick? <laughs> 2003. Um, 1813. So he decides, since Lizzie is the second oldest and the second prettiest, he will then marry her. There's a very common thing that happens in bars where you see that one dude who's just in it for the night looking for the girl. Mm -hmm. And he'll, like, walk up to the prettiest girl in the bar. She'll reject him. He'll kind of, like, take a moment, walk away, and then walk up to the second girl as if she was his first choice all along. And she knows it. She always knows it. And, I mean, Lizzie is no stranger to the fact that men love Jane. So, like, there's a keen awareness amongst all the ladies that, like, Jane's the first choice, but he's gonna be like, nope. And, And I love the way he says it, too. He's like, oh, but now that I think about it, she is even more beautiful yeah, than he, Jane. It actually says that she's equally next to, which I had a hard time with. I was like, how can she be both equal and next to? I guess like next to on a horizontal plane as as opposed to next to and one stop down on the vertical plane. That was a hand motion that I don't know if it's going <laughs> to translate. I actually noticed in this chapter that Jane Austen got a little bit roundabout with her words and I thought to myself, is she doing this because of Mr. Collins? I think so. I think so. I mean, he seems like a simpleton. A simpleton. Like, not so much as Mr. Hurst. Well, Mr. Hurst is just disconcertingly normal and just there. I was thinking more Mr. Hurst just needs to be fed and slept and he's fine. Mr. Hurst is literally just a vessel of nothing. He's a living being. He is a living being. And he sleeps. He's apparently married to Mrs. Hurst. I know, but... She doesn't really care. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Um, now that he's, you know, planning to marry Lizzie, Mrs. Bennett holds Mr. Collins high in her good graces, which is just great. To be fair to her, it's like, on one hand, yeah, it is nice. You have some financial stability for one of your daughters, mm-hmm. and this guy who you were worried was just going to run away with your fortune is trying to put his money where his mouth is. Mm-hmm. So that's all great. But Mrs. Bennet, come on. Yeah. You know Lizzie's better than this. Yeah, oh, and she's not even thinking about the fact that Lizzie doesn't even want a husband right now. Oh, I know. The next day, every sister but Mary is going to Maryton because Mary wants to sit at home and read. Mr. Bennet really wants to get rid of Mr. Collins because he keeps following him into the library and then he's like gonna read but then he picks up a book and just talks to Mr. Bennett and Mr. Bennett tells Lizzie that though he's prepared to meet with folly and conceit in every other room of the house he was used to be free from them here in his library which I think is hilarious because his dumb daughters don't ever go in the library yeah (laughs) so he asks Mr. Collins to go with the girls on the walk and Mr. Collins is like yeah sure and I just picture Lizzie being like dad no no so they pass the time in pompous nothing on his side and civil ascents on the girl's side and I wrote pompous nothings and civil ascents I want that to be the title of my next play that is going to be based on Jane Austen oh I love that just on a quick side note quick plug Molly's a very talented playwright oh, thanks 
saw her play yeah. last week, cried. It was great. Yeah, um, I had my first New York play. <laughs> Woo. But pompous nothings and civil ascents describe so many interactions so many. I have had with men. Yeah, they're just like, oh, well, you know, this thing. <laughs> and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that before. You know when an old guy makes a joke and it's like really uncomfortable and you're just like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you do that little like the girl face we all do where we bug our eyes yep. and pop up our cheekbones and are like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's this entire thing. <laughs> yeah, and I can picture it perfectly. It's so good. Also, civil ascents is a really assonant phrase. It is. Like cellar door. Civil ascents. Civil ascents. Catherine de Bug. <laughs> God. <laughs> Once they get to Meryton, Kidia is immediately looking for the officers, and the only thing that could distract them was cute clothes in the shop windows. Then... All of them at once, not even just Kidia, but all of them notice a young man whom they had never seen before. Thank you, Jane Austen. Exactly. And again, I really thought we were done meeting characters. I did not think there were any more characters in this book. Bitch, you thought. Yeah, I wrote too many. So so one of the benefits to a classic story is that certain things have stuck in your brain before. But it's also, it's a long novel that's complex and has a whole world in it. And there are certain characters who you still haven't met and you will moving forward. That's about as much of a spoiler as I will give you. But yeah, there's there's a whole buttload of plot we still got to go through. There are three volumes to this novel and we are... Oh my god, I forgot! We're in volume the first! We are in volume the what first. What the fuck? Yeah, well, to be fair, we're, we're nearing the end of volume the first. I think we have two more episodes in volume the first. But yeah, there's a lot to happen here. Wow. Yeah, Jane Austen was not a simple tale teller. She knew how to weave a very complicated rom-com. Yeah, and I mean, I've never had a rom-com this complicated, so again, I'm very doubtful as to how this is still going to go on for, I don't know, 300 more pages. And I'm trusting you. I'm glad you're trusting me. Yeah. Let us move on. So it's Mr. Denny, who Lydia had been talking about the night before, and this man. This man, so the, the man they've never seen before is walking with Mr. Denny. Mm-hmm. He bows as they pass, and then Kidia, for those of you who are just joining us now, Kidia refers to Kitty and Lydia they together. They are quite the unit. They're a unit. Kidia is like, we gotta follow them. So they lead the way across the street, and everyone's like, oh, okay. And they all follow. Um, and I, I love picturing this in my head. They like book it across the street, like, trying to be all sleuthy, and then the two men turn around, and they just, like, come face to face, and they're like, oh, I didn't know you were... There's a freeze frame of them, like, oh, (laughs) couldn't have seen you there. (laughs) And they were, like, just walking the other direction. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Mr. Denny is very kind and introduces Mr. Wickham, who had just arrived in town and accepted a commission from their corps, so he's part of the military now yes he is and they are all swooning it's yes as, the young man wanted only regimentals to make him completely charming so basically now that he's got the regimentals he is hot hoya um and they're all having a great convo like just bantering back and forth like you do when you're meeting a new person and who should turn up but darcy and bingley on a horse on horses i believe <laughs> horses and on a horse came out and then I just pictured Darcy holding on to Bingley. Just curled up against him. 
Oh my god. And he's like so embarrassed when they roll up. He's like, oh no, I didn't. I don't know how to ride a horse, and now they all know. Oh, oh. boy, which one would be embarrassed? Um, I think Darcy would be embarrassed, and Bingley would just be like, oh no, it's not a big it's deal. Like, no one dies. And Darcy's like, don't talk to them. Don't talk to them. Don't talk like, to them. Which is just generally the vibe between those two is Bingley going, hey guys, and Darcy being like, no. So Bingley steers them right over to the girls and he's like oh Jane I was just headed to Longbourn to see you and he's the only one talking and only talking to Jane and Jane's like the only one talking back yeah it's just the two of them talking to each other and everyone else just want to flirt I know it's cute jingling Um, Darcy this whole time is just trying super hard not to look at Lizzie and then he notices the stranger Mr. Wickham Lizzie notices this she notices that they both change color. One turns white and one turns red, but we don't know which is which. So I'm assuming one of them gets really scared or like embarrassed and one gets really angry at the sight of the other based by the color that their skin turns. And my thought is that Darcy is angry because Darcy's always angry, but I don't know this new character yet. And I just want to know what's come to pass between them that this is happening. I will neither confirm nor deny this. Great. Wickham touches his hat, and Darcy just barely returns the gesture. And Lizzie is wondering what this could all mean. It says something like, it was impossible not to long to know, which I liked. So then Bingley and Darcy ride off, and and I was like, are they still going to Longbourn? That's where they were headed, and now they've seen Jane. Did they just arrange with her? I I actually don't know where they go at this point in time. It would be kind of funny (laughs) if they still went to Longbourn, and then they were like, oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> well, when they pull it together on that one horse. <laughs> and then Mary comes out and is like, what are you doing here? Can I play piano for you? And they're like, I guess so. You want to see my band t-shirts? <laughs> I have a collection of bugs I could show you. I really like this one caterpillar I found the other day. Preserved pretty well. Most of the carcass is still there. <laughs> so anyway, Denny and Wickham walk with them to Mr. Phillips's house, which is where they were headed, and then say goodbye, even though Lydia keeps inviting them inside, and then Mrs. Phillips, like, throws open the window and loudly seconds the invitation. So I picture, like, Lydia is out there being like, oh, do you want to come inside? And Mrs. Phillips is like, please do come inside. Would you like to stay for dinner? Would, Would you, you like, like to stay, stay forever? forever? <laughs> oh, I gotta get a good Mulan reference in there. Yeah, we've had a lot of pop culture in this one. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> so... Mrs. Phillips is very excited to see all of the girls, but especially Lizzie and Jane. She was surprised that they were even back at Longbourn, and she wouldn't have known except that Mr. Jones's shop boy told her that morning that they weren't sending any more medicine to Netherfield because the girls had left. It took me a while to put that together. I was like, who is Mr. Jones and who is his shop boy? But I figured out that he is the doctor and the drafts that he was talking about, or droughts, drafts. Drops, yeah. Drops, something. Uh, were sent to Netherfield by Mr. Jones. So Jane introduces Mr. Collins, and Mrs. Phillips is very impressed by how polite he is, but soon she gets sidetracked because she wants to talk about Mr. Wickham because she saw that the girls met. And she tells them everything they already knew about him and says that she's been watching him walk up and down the street for the last hour. And I wrote, no wonder where Kitty gets it. Oh, yes. <laughs> also, like, how good looking is this man? Right? I mean, he's got to be hotter than Bingley. I mean, Darcy's supposed to kind of be hotter than Bingley. He's got to be hotter than Darcy. He is supposed to be, like, hot. Hot. He is a man in uniform, and all these ladies are just like, oh, wow. Yeah. So the girls want to keep watching out the window, but the only people that walk by now in comparison are stupid and disagreeable, in their opinion. So Mrs. 
Phillips says that a few officers are actually coming by for dinner the next day, and she would have her husband invite Mr. Wickham if all the girls will also come to dinner, and... They're all very excited by this prospect. Then there's uh, more about Collins being overly polite, like, thank you, thank you so much for letting me into your home when you don't even know me, blah, blah, blah. And Mrs. Phillips is like, it's okay. We're chill, dude. Yeah. So then they walk home, and Lizzie asks Jane if she noticed what happened between Wickham and Darcy. And Jane did notice, I think. It says, though Jane would have defended either or both had they appeared to be wrong, she could no more explain such behavior than her sister. So I think she noticed and was also confused by it. Additionally, I like the description of Jane as would have defended either or both. I thought that was very Bingley of her. Jane's sort of defining traits in this book, other than the fact that everyone talks about how hot she is, I would say is the fact that she is somewhat introverted and just absurdly kind and mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. And so there's like this line about how, you know, she always sees the good in people and she's wanting to be like, oh no, Lizzie, there wasn't drama. You imagined it. But if Jane saw that something went down, then like something, something went, went down. down. Then when they get back, Collins tells Mrs. Bingley that aside from Lady Catherine and her daughter, he had never met a more elegant woman than Mrs. Phillips, for she not only met him with the utmost civility, but also invited him to dinner the next night. And then that's the end. That's the cliffhanger that we end on. What's going to happen at dinner? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, also Catherine de Bourg. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the end of these chapters. So part of the reason I cut it down to three chapters this time instead of four is because these are long chapters. Meaty. Yeah, they're they... they're meaty. There was a lot of new information and a lot of new characters that we met pretty immediately. My brain is broken. And very specifically, I wanted to give Mr. Collins some breathing room because I I just live for Mr. Collins. <laughs> He is so funny. He's such a weirdo. He's so weird, which is why I enjoy his presence in this book so much. It is so ridiculous. But that brings me to my study questions, which are sort of related to these three chapters and the new characters specifically. So I said we really met three new characters in this chapter. Collins, Wickham, and Mrs. Phillips. What are your first impressions? And very specifically, particularly with Collins and Wickham, how do those two differ so far? Well, I don't think Collins is hot. I think that Collins is maybe a little homely and annoying. I think that the girls are kind of like whatever with him. And he's their cousin. Yes, he is their cousin. So that's weird. And then Wickham is like this new, mysterious, hot man. And I'm getting the sense that this is kind of a small, like, while there are multiple towns in this area, they're all small towns. Like, if you haven't seen someone before, It's definitely a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's like, oh, there's a new guy in town. So Wickham has a lot of potential for them, and I think that Collins is, like, their annoying cousin that is coming to visit and is also taking all of their land when their dad dies. So that's their difference. And Mrs. Phillips is my new favorite character. (laughs) She's Mrs. Bennett's sister, but she is honestly so much better than Mrs. Bennett. She's their cool aunt. She is so their cool aunt. She's like chill and kind of gossipy and fun, but like she doesn't have Mrs. Bennett's nerves. Right. She's just like, let's talk. I'll throw a dinner. You guys come. I'll invite the hot boys that you like. Yes. Also, I mean, 
She is the aunt that Kidia goes to to go flirt with soldiers. Right. And which she approves. Which, you know, in the time period is not, I don't think, supposed to be the best thing. But also, I'm here for it because yeah. Kidia are cute teenage girls. They deserve to flirt with soldiers. I remember in a previous episode, we decided that Lydia is 15. Mm-hmm. So would that make Kitty 16? I think about maybe 17. 16 or they're 17? Like, they're in that range. Cool. So they're like real full adults. Not adults, but they're full humans. Oh, yeah. They are not eight years old. So this is fine, <laughs> in my opinion. That's all I have to say on those. Great. So I said we got a lot of mentions of Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and I wondered what your predictions are in terms of like, what do you perceive of her and her daughter at this point? I'll start with her daughter because I I think I have more thoughts on that. I imagine that her daughter is going to be some sort of competition in some way for one of these girls. I don't know how. I really want Mr. Collins to go for her daughter, but it seems like he's not going to. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Is she in a wheelchair or is she just going around on her carriage all the time? I will decline to comment. Okay. Because I'm kind of picturing, like, Nessa in Wicked kind of, like, rolling up, and she's super beautiful and makes the sisters all jealous. That's just a (laughs) one thought that I had for her. But I think that she's, like, the hottest. If anyone is going to be competition for her, it's Jane, and I want to see what happens there. As for Lady Catherine Katie de Berg, I... Don't know. She's really rich. That's what we know about her. And she's noble. So I feel like, one, if we ever get her in the same room as these girls, because in my brain, this story doesn't happen outside of Longbourn and Netherfield and Maryton. I don't see us leaving those places, and I'm going to be very shook if we do. But if we ever get them in the same place, I feel like Mrs. Bennett's going to hate her, and Mr. Bennett will have nothing to say. Dope. Also, really quick two-word answer to this. Based on what you know now, who would you cast as Lady Catherine de Bourgh in a, in a movie? Oh my god. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wanted to go back a little to how now we have a face on this inheritance drama. And this is, again, such a huge part of romance in this time period because women really need the money. I know I keep making you talk about economics on this No, but it's not even that. It's that it drains the life from me to think that there is a possibility of one of them marrying Mr. Collins because it will help them keep the estate. That just drains the life from me. It's a tough situation. I think it's so well put. He can't help the fact that he's inheriting. But he's not mad about it either. But, like, if he could... Would he stop it? Yeah, no, of course not. It really just does show how dire the straits are for women in these time periods. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, his plan makes sense. It does. I would probably offer the same thing, but it would not be a, a love marriage. It would be a money marriage. And I would want my wife to still go out and date other people, which is a, it would not fly in this time period. It's, it's a brutal, brutal thing. Also, he's such a doofus. For real. Like, I feel like now that I'm picturing him as, like, kind of baby face, but still with a mustache and just, like... Oh, my God! <laughs> kind of, like... Like a peach fuzz. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so creepy. And he just, like, kind of plots his around and he, like, talks a lot. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like, oh, did you know? And they're like, I did know, but I will pretend not to for you. And, uh, I But I don't hate him. It's not his fault. That's just who he is. I don't hate him. Oh, Mr. Collins. Before we go into our next question, just our ending thoughts on Mr. Collins, I'll just say... 
We feel for him. Yeah. It's not his fault. He's kind of homely and uncharming. He's trying. And he, he doesn't is. seem like a bad dude. He didn't ask for this money. He didn't. The next question I had is, I wanted you to give me a prediction for what you think is going on between Darcy and Wickham. All right. So my brain went a lot of different places. I okay. was like, ooh. I'm going to react to none of it. I just want to get this on the record. So first I thought maybe there's like, they had a past feud with a woman but I also like to think that Darcy's never been able to get a woman, so maybe not. <laughs> then I thought maybe it has something to do with money. But what I what I would like, I might just be making this up on the spot. I'm going to just make a plot okay. for them. They are distant relatives. Okay. And their families have been feuding for decades and decades. And one of them murdered the other one's brother. No, no, I'm just doing Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say two households, both <laughs> alike in dignity. Uh, so, uh, but the family's feuding. No, I feel like it's got to be a girl. <laughs> I tried, but I feel like it's got to be a girl. And um, I think Wickham probably stole away Darcy's love when they were like 18. Maybe they're like childhood best friends or something. And Darcy has never forgiven him and hasn't seen him since then because Wickham and this girl got married and are like in love and then oh maybe she's dead maybe she died and so that's why he's an eligible bachelor now and Darcy is like still hates him and he's kind of just embarrassed because you can't help who you fall in love with cool we will take that as your prediction on the record for what happened between them great so then my last question for you before we get to my standbys what are your predictions for dinner? Oh my gosh. Kitty is going to be in heaven. Yeah. Just like all of the officers are going to be there. They're just going to be dying. And I think Lizzie and Darcy are going to be sitting across from each other. Mm-hmm. Is Darcy invited to dinner? Do you want me to tell you? No, don't no? tell me. Yeah. I don't know if Darcy's invited to dinner. I just realized maybe Darcy won't be there. Oh my god, and if Darcy's not there, then Bingley won't be there. And if Bingley's not there, then Jane might flirt with someone, or someone might flirt with Jane. And then she's going to be conflicted, and I bet Wickham flirts with her. All right, we're putting that on the record as your prediction. Great. So, obviously, my last three questions for you are, what is the funniest quote? There were so many. This is a quote from our good friend Collins. They arise chiefly from what is passing at the time. And, oh, should I do your voice? Yeah, go for the voice. They arise chiefly from what is passing at the time, and though I sometimes amuse myself with suggesting and arranging such little elegant compliments as may be adapted to ordinary occasions, I always wish to give them as unstudied an air as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimate fuckboy move. I love it. Truly. All right, what's your biggest question moving forward? What the fuck happened between Darcy and... Vicum. 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 And who wins this stretch of chapters? Oh, Mrs. Phillips. Yes, girl. She is so good. She is on it. She is wingmanning up a storm. Yeah, I love her. All right, cool. That brings us to the end of this episode of Pot and Prejudice. Until next time, stay proper and find a husband. <laughs> Special thanks to our newest patron, Teresa. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick with art by Torrance Brown. Special thanks to our audio producer, Graham Cook, without whom we would sound like garbage fire. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Prejudice. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash pod and prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Thanks for listening.